Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. I'm so glad you're here today. Welcome to Crosswalk, all of our family, friends, guests. If this is the first time you're here, I'm so glad you are. And it occurs to me as we've still got people kind of finding their way in, there could be some moment where just sliding in a little bit could be helpful. I don't know. Um, So if you'd consider sliding in, making a few more seats out on the edges available, that would be lovely. Uh, I just want to say God has been up to stuff here at Crosswalk. And we saw a little couple of clips of some recent decisions that are celebrated in our family. And I just want to tell you that I just have had regular times over the course of the weeks here where my day is made because somebody, somebody did this between services, said, I want to talk to you about what's going on in my life spiritually and a decision I want to make. And uh, I just want you to know, if by chance that's a part of your story, please grab a card at the Next Steps booth so you can text me or see me afterwards. You have made my day whenever you come up and say, I I want to just talk about what God's doing in my life and and what he might be calling on me to be, to do, uh, and to decide together. You might also have noticed a little language there in that video clip called uh, Campus Week, Campus Week. And you might not be familiar with that language, but we are a part of a global network of churches, Crosswalk Churches. And so next week, we'll start another sermon series, which is called Uncomfortable. It's season two. We had the first part of it in the spring. And so all of our campuses kind of walk together through our study of scripture, except on what we call Campus Weeks. Then we take a kind of particular moment to focus in a specific area local to us. And so we're doing that today. And I just want you to know how excited I am to do this. I want to tell you this because I get to sit right up here. Some of you are back far enough that you don't get to enjoy the children during praise time. And uh, I'm so sorry for you that you, if you don't, some of us up here, we know what we're talking about with that, right? It is the best. And I just need you to hear this. If you're a parent of a smaller child and you're wondering, because of course, sometimes children and adults are a little different in some of the ways they express themselves or even the way they move to music or any number of things, you got to know this. We love children here. And just, I'll just speak personally. If you're wondering, I don't know, should I, shouldn't I, should I, shouldn't I, you know, we could come at a time when maybe my kids are, yeah, I, I love that they be, you want them involved in CW Kids, but please, please, bring them in here too. Love it when they are here with us. Uh, and that kind of gets into a little bit of where we're headed here, and that has to do with the idea of the cross-generational opportunities that we have. I see quite a number of college students that are here. Can I hear a little bit from you, college students, if you're here? They're tired. So uh, we do have quite a number of college students that are here. There could be some high school students that are here. We have children that are here. We have, we have people in the middle of their careers recently graduated. Anybody graduate last year from college? Okay, you can't make a noise. You just, look, it's all I can do. Um, this is my day of rest. I'm kind of resentful you made me do that. Anyway, uh, but we have people who are well on into their career. You've got some of us who have earned with sweat every gray hair that we have on our heads. Some of you got it a little easier, I don't know. but um, Or maybe the lack of. I don't know. Uh, I just want to say this to you. 
I believe today, as we focus a little bit, we take some time to focus in different areas. We're kind of highlighting our future of ministry. If you don't know what that is, it's our ministry with and among college students. Our our future of leader, Kaylin, the young lady who was just helping sing, right, standing somewhere near here. Kaylin, yeah, whoop, whoop. She was, she's our, our, our student leader of future of. We love college students here. And yep, keep drinking coffee and eating donuts. Yep. We love you here. And I love it that you would spend your time with us and be a part of our family. So uh, we're going to kind of focus a little bit here. I would like to take you to Psalm 103. I love this passage of scripture. Uh, The second verse says this, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then it goes down through a list of benefits. Who forgives your sins, who redeems your life. And it's not just redeems your life, but goes deep on that by saying, redeems your life from the pit. Anybody had a week like that? Like, it's like, oh, man, I'm just, I can barely even see the sunshine. And on it goes until it hits this verse, the fifth, and it says this, this one who, re, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I don't know how you read that just then, <clears throat> but you know who I don't think needs their youth renewed? Youth. They, they already got it. Children. You already got it, Jack. I don't, I don't think our college students are quite in the same spot as I am on this verse. I want to I suggest to you, God has made us a promise that we as his body can be young. And he has a game plan for that. And I want to call you to it as we consider what it means to be young. I want to suggest to you, what it means to be young as a a family is to value the young, to protect and give toward our young, to make space for our young, to make sure we have CW kids, to make sure we have future of. But there's something else that it means to be young. And, you know, the world around us is really starting to figure this out. Do you know Singapore? As a nation, the billions that are there, Singapore has decided to completely redesign their cities and their housing. Because they have discovered the data that says it is similar, a similar health cost on your life to smoking multiple packs of cigarettes a day. Similar kind of challenge as it is to live with age separatism. There's data that suggests that it is as important as exercising for young and old to mix together. And you know, over the last hundred years or so, we've gotten more and more separate and we've got, we've got ourselves into little kind of cloisters and clusters and it's, and it's great. And this is not to suggest you shouldn't have friends, but you should have friends that span the generations if you wanna have the greatest health and be at your best. College students, can I recommend to you, because sometimes what we will do as college, see how I just worked my way into that? What what we'll do is, uh, we we will move together, but we won't really land. Do you know that the data says it, 
one of the most common places to make effective, life-changing, cross-generational relationships in the world today is in a Christian church. But not when, you just, when I just keep visiting one church to another church to another church with my friends. I have to actually decide, I'm going to sink in. I'm going to say, hey, I, I sing. I'd love to be involved. Hey, you know what? I can, can I be involved in the children's? We've got college students in the children's area, in praise, in technology back there, serving coffee, greeting, everything we do. And my encouragement to you is to consider that partnership. I often like to ask uh, college students, you know, so what do you think the odds are that you're going to be hired by somebody your same age? What are the odds that if you decide you want to start a business and you need capital to get this thing up off the ground, that it's going to come from somebody your age? You know what? Even if you did not believe in Jesus, and you're saying, look, I'm looking for a great way to accelerate and, and do well in my life and career. We'd have a conversation about Jesus. But even if you didn't believe in Jesus, I'd say, you know what you should find? You should find some place that comfortably you can engage and practice your skills cross-generationally because if you can talk to people across the generations, if you learn to grow in that kind of way, you're going to excel as compared to those around you. Although we could find a place where with low levels of pressure, you can engage with people across the generations. Let's say every week. Yeah. And here's the amazing truth. Because we just came out of a series all about the challenges we have with mental health, depression, anxiety, stress, suicide. And we admitted, the data is clear, that the two age groups that encounter the most severe levels of depression and all these other things are those who are under 30 and those who are over 70. And here's what else the data says. A 20-year-old that has a 70-year-old that they interact with with some regularity experiences half the levels of depression that their classmates do. And 70-year-olds who have a 20-year-old in their life live longer. Turns out God meant for us to be a body together. So I encourage you, students, yes, please, please, please come here. Not just come here, but as you come here, sink in, get involved, grow friendships, practice your interactive skills, be a part of the body. I got to tell you, those of us that are a little bit older, I, I look, it was quite a while ago that I, that I first started realizing I needed to act like something was funny on the basketball court sometimes. <laughs> I mean, I didn't, I just, can I be honest with you? I didn't stretch quite properly to come up those stairs. So I'm just saying, it's real. I could stand to be around something that would make me renewed in my vigor, in my energy, in my youth. And God has a plan for us, young and old, that as we partner together, he has something big in store for us. It's a plan for you. So don't hold out. Those of us that are older, let's not be saying, you know what? Those college students, they drink all the coffee and they don't even contribute financially. Well, you know what? 
I was that age at, at a time, believe it or not, myself, and I was probably not contributing the same way I am now. I've got something to give that, that maybe somebody else doesn't have. You have something to give that maybe somebody else doesn't have. Yes, welcome. We're glad of it, that we can be together. So I'd like to take you to a passage of scripture as we consider the truth that as you sit here, you are surrounded. It's like if I said, look, under a seat or two, there's a taped $100 bill. You have to check and you have to see if it's under yours. Somebody right here is going, wait, did he say I wasn't listening? Is there, is there one? Is there one under there? No, there isn't. There isn't. But there is gold in the seats next to you. Young college student, in this room is likely a person whose career you want to enter, who has a network they're nearly finished with, and they'd love to find somebody worthy to give it to. Somebody with connections into that grad school, somebody with experiences. An older person like me who can sometimes look over and go, man, I just feel uncomfortable. They know things that I don't, I don't is it still Twitter? I don't know. Do you, have you X'd recently? I, and I can get a little scared. But let's break those barriers because there's gold in the young person seated in the row behind or in front of you. And I want to take you to a Bible passage because it's not just the data out in the world to pay attention to. It's also in Scripture. So let me take you to 1 Samuel chapter 14. 1 Samuel 14 starts this way. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to the young man bearing his armor, come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. Now, you should know, he's, Jonathan, as he says this, is in a group of people that are resting, possibly sleeping. His father is there. He goes over to his armor bearer and he says, and I think probably many, many, many good stories might start this way. Psst. I've got an idea. No, shh. One that is spoken in hushed tones because there's a rascalness to it. And that's this story. Jonathan comes, he's about 30 at this point. His armor bearer, probably not old enough to fully be a soldier or else he would be one of the soldiers. He's an armor bearer. There's a generation gap between these two and Jonathan comes over. Maybe Jonathan comes over because he knows what college students are like. Because you can go to a college student and you can say, hey man, uh, I got this idea, so we're gonna be walking with those young ladies. If you could just walk with them just to the right spot, I'm gonna go in to the dorm and then I'm gonna pour water out of my window onto their head. <laughs> Wanna do it? Yeah, duh, just don't hit me. Psst, I got an idea. And Jonathan comes to the armor bearer with an idea. Now, you deserve to know some of the backstory, so I'm going to give you the backstory. In 1 Samuel 13, these things happen. I'm going to try to go rapidly. So buckle up. You can go back and read 1 Samuel 13, but I'm going to just race through. The beginning of the chapter 13, Saul has just become king. He's 30. And then in that same verse, it says he was king for 42 years, so he's 72, somewhere in here. And along the way, he forms an army, but he's only got about 3,000 soldiers. We're going to learn they've got some problems, this army. 
but he takes this, this army and he divides it into two parts. He's got 2,000 soldiers. And now, because you can tell he's not 30 anymore, he's got a son who's about 30 and he gives them, gives Jonathan about 1,000 soldiers. Now, Jonathan is younger than Saul. Saul is kind of a hesitant king. He's pretty full of himself on occasion, but Jonathan is not a guy who likes to just sit around. Anybody who, uh, every once in a while, I've, I've watched some of us a little older get a little irritated with people who are moving around too much. And those of us who are a little younger are like, man, are you sleeping? Check, check, is that, are they breathing? Jonathan is not a guy who sits around. Now, I don't know if it was kicking the hornet's nest or trying to crush a, a bug or something that happened, but he attacks the Philistines and is victorious. But it is a fairly small battle, and it really ticks the Philistines off. And so now the Philistines are amassing troops. By the way, little insight into who Saul is, he will describe it as Saul was victorious. You will not find in 1 Samuel 13 or 14 Saul doing much of anything except kind of waiting around, sitting down, sleeping, complaining, or stepping into roles that clearly aren't his, taking credit for people's actions that weren't his. Well, next thing you know, there is a massive army, 6,000 charioteers, uh, and there are, the Bible says, the army the size of the sands of the sea. That's how many soldiers the Philistine army had. And so what was going on with the 3,000 soldiers uh, from the Israelite army is many of them are just saying, you know, there's a weekend celebration at my house that I got I to gotta get to. Um, so there are some that hung around just a little longer and then just got so scared they ended up fleeing to caves. The Bible says there's a portion of the Israelite army that decides, you know what? If you can't beat them, join them. I think I could pass myself off as Philistine. And joined the Philistine army. So you're now down to 600 and you are dwarfed by, by this army that's amassed against you. You ever feel that way? I'm trying here. I mean, I'm trying here, God. I'm trying here. But it's, you know, it was, it was okay when it was this issue, but then this issue came on top of that issue and that was partnered with, bundled with a, I mean, they came in a chariot, those kinds of issues. And in fact, there are, it's like the sands of the sea, the stuff that's coming at me. And by the way, everything that I thought was gonna be able to be marshaled up against that, even as small as it was, it's, it's gone. And we're in trouble here. By the way, it's worse than even that. Because in the 22nd verse of 1 Samuel 13, it says, so on the day of the battle, the battle that is going to be told about in the 14th chapter, the one that starts with Jonathan going, psst, hey, I got an idea. So on the day of that battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or a spear in his hand. <laughs> they, don't have, they don't have weapons. I mean, they might have some sticks. Some, they could probably gather some rocks. They could run hard at the enemy, but they don't have weaponry like the other, outmanned, outgunned. They don't have a sword or a spear, and the problem goes deep. The problem goes really deep. In the 19th verse, it says this, not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords or spears. Wait, wait, wait. Why do the Philistines get to weigh in on this? 
I don't know if it was. Some scholars wonder if it was that the Philistines had entered into the Iron Age and the Israelites were still kind of trying to figure out their way there. And anytime somebody would start up a, a blacksmith business, then a raiding part of Philistine, party of Philistines would come rushing in and destroy it. Could it be that God's people were perfectly satisfied to let somebody else sharpen their tools? The Bible will say something about how much it costs because even sharpening their plows... The Israelites had to go to the enemy to get sharpened for a price that was way too steep. And I just want to suggest to you that it's not just the Hebrews of 1 Samuel 13 who sometimes go to the enemy to get sharpened. We all struggle with shortcuts, with lack of faith, with difficulty and challenge, Somebody in this room has gone to the enemy for the shortcut of some substance that can give you a temporary hit, but let me just say, it's too expensive. Somebody here has decided on a relationship or a certain way in that relationship that is going to the enemy to be sharpened, to get your fix, to get love in a kind of way, I'm telling you, is way too expensive. God's people can get stuck in this kind of mentality where we're just going to go to the enemy to be sharpened. And by the way, if you remember, it said on that day that no one had a sword or a spear in the army. Ah, but, wait a minute. Yeah, actually, there, is, there are two swords. I'm not sure how sharp they are. <laughs> if, the, if the only place you get them sharpened isn't willing to sharpen them for you. But, Maybe they've got it figured out. Maybe it's excellent steel. But Jonathan and Saul, these two have swords, which by the way, isn't it just like us to kind of downplay even what God has given us? Because it seems too small. I mean, look, human beings do this thing and Christians, we're right there with them. You have this happen? Somebody says, hey, how you doing? And, and that person says, Oof, tough week, tough, tough week. And before they can even explain what they're meaning, the other person jumps in, oh man, I know what you mean. Let me just tell you about what's going on in my life. My car, I think it has leprosy. There's a, a situation with my children and I, man, I'm starting to feel a, I've got a, I've got a problem in my hip and we'll do this, right? Where we kind of, okay, so what's your problem? Oh, I can get on top of that one. Here's my problem. And the next thing you know, we're focused on no swords when in fact we have two swords and you might be somebody who says, yeah, but did you hear what you just said? And I remind you, this is a spiritual story. God says things like, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, that's what I need to work. You have an army that's dwindled from 3,000 to 600 and 3,000 wasn't going to be nearly enough and none of those people have swords. There's no even place to go get them. You've just got one, two swords, which by the way, one of those swords is never going to be used in the story. And we do that. We will, I will whine and complain about how little I've got to the point of not using the little I've got. By the way, God says, I, my preference is when you only have one sword. I, I love it when you've just got one sword because you're going to know who did this. 
I, I think a little bit about the story in 2 Kings. You remember the story in 2 Kings chapter 4? Elisha the prophet. He, there, it's a famine time, and there's a family whose the, the husband has died, and in fact, he has been in debt. And so now the woman who is now widowed, her two sons, she fears the creditor is going to come and take them captive, indentured. They'll never be able to work their way fully out of it. They'll be gone from her life. She loses her husband and her two boys at the same time, and she is distraught, and Elisha shows up, and he asks the question, well, hey, what, what do you have? What do you have? And here's her response. Your servant has nothing there at all. Go home and bring me what you have. There's nothing at home. Except for, except for a pot of oil. By the time the story is over, her home becomes an oil manufacturing plant. She gets that family out of debt. She is there in great shape. God has miraculously used the thing you said you didn't even have. Oh, trust me, you have been given something that God intends to breathe over and multiply in ways that are powerful and your instinct and mine so often is to say, I don't even have it. Because by the way, what will one little jar of oil do? Nothing. Unless God shows up. And by the way, in this world, if God doesn't show up, it doesn't matter how many jars of oil you have. We're in trouble. And so, all they have on the day of the battle is just this one sword that's going to get used, two swords in the army. So they're hiding. Some have gone home. Some have joined the enemy. And we have this day. One day, Jonathan says, son of Saul, says to the young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the Philistines and to their outposts on the other side and he did not tell his father. A couple things. The outpost on the other side, one of the things the Philistines did was they kind of laid claim to and took up camp in a bunch of different places that were seriously important for commerce and trade and for helping support the Israelites. So Michmash is one of those, which is kind of just a chuckle name. Michmash. You know, I don't know. It doesn't sound like a name that we would normally be using, but that is a name. And in fact, Michmash is one of these places with a narrow pathway between two cliffs to, through, to, through a ravine. One of the cliffs had one name, the other cliff, another name, two different names. And if you translate the Hebrew word in 1 Samuel chapter 13 of these two names, what you'll find is the one is named Slippery Slope. That's the Hebrew name. Is One of these is Slippery Slope Cliff. And the other one is Thorny Cliff. And so passage is impossible because a group of soldiers with armaments are camped out there. And so this is where actually Jonathan is saying, hey, let's go over there. Notice he says, uh, this passage says, but let's, it, I'm, shh, we got to do this quietly. I don't want to tell my father. You know, there are not just two generations. There are three generations that are represented in this story. You've got the armor bearer, the young man. You've got this warrior, Jonathan, and you have an older person who clearly everybody can tell it's a problem to include because he's going to shut stuff down. He's going to tell you you can't do it. He's going to probably tell you the story about how we tried that in 1964. And uh, let's just be honest, that went poorly. I mean, we ruined some carpet. It can't be done. 
Jonathan knows that sword is not going to get used. Let's go. Now, one of the beautiful things that happens here is, in fact, uh, there is an incredible response on the part of the armor bearer. Before we get there, where is Saul? Saul, in this story, was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migran. And whenever you read a passage of scripture and there's some detail that kind of, that's not weird, check into the detail. Because so often it's on purpose and it means something. Pomegranates, which if you knew what you were looking at, little bronze pomegranates hung from the vest, from from the robe of the priest. Pomegranates actually were a fruit that doesn't grow in Egypt. But in Canaan, you remember the story where the spies bring back fruit and they've got two guys have to carry a pole with a bunch of grapes hanging on it because the grapes are too huge. And you know what else is hanging from that pole? Pomegranates. This is, this is fruit of the promise. This is fruit from what God has said he's going to give to you in this land that's amazing and true. And so into the Canaan land they go and the pomegranate tree becomes a symbol of success and promise and fulfillment and even royalty, right? And so where, of course, where is Saul going to spend his time camped out doing nothing? It's under a pomegranate tree, and that is so much who we can be, is camped out, asleep, doing nothing, under the symbol of the promises that God fulfilled yesterday. I just want to say it. God has blessed this community yesterday. What about today? Do you believe that the God of the promise of yesterday is the God of the promise of today and tomorrow? See, Saul struggled with that. He was much more about celebrating yesterday, which is important to remember. But he had trouble getting up from under the promises of yesterday. And Jonathan knows it. And so it's a whisper, it's a shh, let's sneak out and let's go. Now they're on the outskirts and he actually suggests, hey, let's go over. The young armor bearers there, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised fellows. You might be thinking that's the same verse as I mentioned before. It's a different one. He's ramped up the language. I don't know if you noticed. It was the Philistines. Now he's starting to talk some trash, getting hyped, ready to go. And at this point, I think it would be reasonable for the armor bearer to say, um, so here, here's, the, here's the thing. We have one sword. So how is this plan going to play out here? Because I think as we go, first of all, they're going to be like 20 or so soldiers over there. They are warriors. I'm not even, I, I mean, I have very little experience. I'm not a soldier yet. I'm just an armor bearer. I'm doing my best here. But you've got the one sword. Easy for you to say, let's attack. Ah, but the key is, Jonathan went to a college student and said, hey man, let's go attack. How about let's attack? And the college student's response is, yeah! (laughs) The college student's response is to say, if you look in the passage of scripture, everything you've said, let's do it. I am in with my whole heart and my soul. The actual vernacular of the Hebrew that's included is to say, I will be as close to you on this as your skin is. Let's do this. 
and they start to get close to where the enemies are in micmash there with slippery slope on one side and thorny crag on the other side. And, th- and then, then the real plan starts to come into full focus. And what's the real plan? Well, he says, look, here's the deal, my young friend. Great news. Perhaps the Lord will act in our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do you believe that today? Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And we say amen. Let me ask you this. How often do you say amen to perhaps? Maybe. Uh, we're going to try something. And we, uh, look, here's the great news. It, we might survive this. Bought a building. I think there's a shot. We could, we could afford the utilities. Maybe. That doesn't sound like the kind of plan we usually want to hear, right? Here's the certainty of it. And what the certainty is that God can save, and it doesn't matter how many we have, it doesn't matter how many swords we have, if God wants to show up, he's going to show up, and he's going to be victorious, and we know this, and so we're going to test him on this. I don't know. In that moment, as this college student is looking over, and he's saying, okay, I'm with you, just like your skin, and, 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 and in fact, he goes, well, that's great news, because maybe we, this works. Maybe, we'll see. In fact, I want to thicken the plot, Jonathan says. Here's what I think we should, I think we should do something, some kind of an arrangement where we're asking God because we shouldn't go into things that we haven't talked to God about. So let's, let's talk to God and let's see how this goes. What I think we should do is we will, well, he goes on to say, we, we will cross over toward the men who are camped out here, armed with swords, the, the many of them. And we're gonna, and I, I say we let them see us. Yeah, I know, some of you are thinking, the one thing you have, the only thing you have is the element of surprise. You're gonna have to, the Bible describes, you're gonna have to scale this cliff, hand over fist, clawing and grabbing at rocks, free climbing this wall, I don't know, with one of you with a sword in your teeth. And the one thing you had was surprise. Hey, here's what I think we should do. I think we'll go out into the middle of the area and get their attention. And here will be our test of God. If they look at us down there and they say, hey, 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 you guys shouldn't be here. We're coming down to fight you. Then we'll know this isn't a good plan. (laughs) If instead they say, you guys, you're not supposed to be here. Let's rumble. Get up here then we will know God is going to give us victory. What? Yeah, the way we'll know is if God asks us to do the harder part and not them. It's not normally how we think, is it? Well, and again, there he is. The armor bearer, swordless. Yeah! You know, I'm not wearing shoes, but I hope this is good. Let's go do it. Let's go do it. I wasn't doing anything anyway. Well, I was stuck under the pomegranate tree. It was not fun. It was warm. And I might as well, if we're going to sweat, let's do this. And so they begin to go out into the clearing. And sure enough, the Philistines do exactly what you would predict. And that is they say, hey, dudes, you're not supposed to be 
down there. We're about, to, we're about to make this thing go off. Why don't you come up here and try to make something of it? And so Jonathan and the armor bearer go, see, yeah, this is great. And they begin climbing up the cliff to the top. Meanwhile, at the top, there are the Philistines who are waiting for them. You know, their power, carb loading, getting, you know, some fluids, make sure they're ready. Anybody need to sharpen anything more here? Well, I'm going to nap for a minute. You let me know when they're two-thirds of the way up. Okay. All right. They're, 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 and they scramble to the top. This is a nuts idea. I don't know if you are in any way a little like me where I love ideas that I'm really sure are going to work. And so this bothers me a good deal. I love this quote from Stephen Furtick from God. If my plan does not require God to show up, I can live a life that is godless and be just the same. What if we lived our lives in such a way that we're toast if God doesn't show up? Not just because we're trying to prove a point, but because we're going where God would want us to go. Even scaling a cliff, hard moment by hard moment, and they make their way up on top of this cliff, and the Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. The only one of them has a sword. I don't know what it is. I don't know what the, what the armor bearer's got, but he's taking people out too. I will tell you this, that it is so common that I've experienced younger people are able to do what they know they can't do if they would just listen to us. There's a Confucianism, I think that's the right way to put that, that says, the one who says it cannot be done should not interrupt the one who's doing it. So they go. One sword between them. I don't know if they're collecting weapons along the way, but 20 men in a space the size of this building. And then the miracle happens. Then the miracle happens. You might have thought it would happen before. I'm not, no, I'm going to suggest to you the miracle is about to happen because God shows up and a panic strikes the whole army. Those in the camp, those in the field, those in the outpost, those in the raiding parties, those who were close to where Jonathan and the armor bearer were, those who were camped much further away. The ground all shook and it was a panic sent by God. And back in camp under the pomegranate tree, Saul wakes up and he realized something is happening. Who's, who's missing? Jonathan? Has anybody seen Jonathan? And so out they go to the battle. The, the, the 598 of them, they go to see what's going on. And then Saul, all his men assembled. They go to the battle and they found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. Ah. You see... Some people thought they only had two swords. But the God who owns the cattle on a thousand hills would say, all the swords are mine. I've got more swords in this battle than you have hands. You strap them to your feet and you still don't have enough appendages for all the swords I'm bringing to this battle. Some of the swords I have look like they're in the hands of the enemy. I'm telling you, I'm using those swords. 
How many of you have shown up to a funeral amidst deep grief only to learn later that God used that which was meant for evil for some salvation to come home? Oh, we're, we serve a God who if, you, if you're not careful, you're gonna think we've only got one sword. And God would say, no, 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 no. Uh, frankly, I love it when you think you've only got one sword because then when something happens, you're, uh, you're quite clear who it is, what it is that showed up. You're gonna have to write down that in fact, the Lord sent this earthquake and rumble and panic. And so Saul shows up and the Philistines are fighting each other. And God is victorious because uh, one Crosswalk Church member and one future of student decided, let's do something nuts together. I've got a plan. And by the way, some of us have a sword that we need to share with someone. We need a partner. We need to experience the life that happens when you get around somebody young. Some of our young people, you need to get around some people with some swords. Some people who have some resources that maybe you don't, that can try some of the things that you couldn't, but would never do that unless you say, yes, let's do this in the name of God. So they go and God shows them, hey, look, look, here's the thing. You know, the devil's gonna think he can use a cross against me. <laughs> I own the cross. That's my cross. He'll think he won. And then bounding out of an open tomb on a Sunday morning, he's going to realize in a heartbeat, uh-oh, what have I done? I thought this was a good plan, but it turns out God owns not just the cattle on a thousand hills or the swords even in the enemy's hands. He owns the crosses and the tombs and he owns all those moments that we are desperate and he knows those moments when you lose your job or your marriage ends or you just can't figure out a way to get out of the panic you're feeling. And he says this, I... I want to show up for you in you and I want you, Crosswalk, I want you to be young. I want you to be young. And my plan for that is take risks on young people. Spend your money on young people being involved. Listen to crazy plans and bring up your own and step out, step out for the one who owns it all. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.